Okay, we've been doing a little series about animals in the Bible, and they're used in many, many, we found a whole lot of different applications where the qualities of an animal is applied over to human behavior. We talked about ants and eagles, locusts and sheep, and uh, birds and horses and lions and all kinds of stuff. And uh, today we're going to do two little categories. We're going to do camels and conies. Camels and conies. You don't know what a cony is, do you? <laughs> we'll, we'll tell you when we get there. We're going to start with a camel. And camels, uh, well, they look the strangest looking creatures in God made. With a big old hump on their back. Some of them with two humps. And they use them in the, that part of the world of the Bible. And somebody once said, a camel is a horse made up by a committee. <laughs> Which I think was a pretty good uh, comment on it because he's got a big hump on his back right where you want to ride and committee would want that. And, you know, he's, you look at him, you say, how is he going to do anything? Strange looking creature. There was a fellow next road over from me who had a camel. And uh, he said to me, uh, I would bring the camel over to your old fashioned Christmas but there's some things you should know. And I said, he spits, right? And he goes, yeah, he does. I said, no, it's okay. We can imagine about a camel. We don't need to have one. We don't want a spitting camel around. And so here's this creature. Uh, looks like it's made by a committee. They never know quite what to do. And he spits on people. He says, what are you going to learn from this thing? Well... Jesus is the one that's going to teach us, so I'm sure he knows. Uh, Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> we have the story here of what we call the rich young ruler. There's a man who comes to Jesus and he says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you know. That the rules are honor your mother and father and, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I, I did all that. And he says, okay, then you're all set. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he said, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. And so... Uh, it says in verse 22, in Matthew 19, verse 22, When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard, they were exceedingly amazed at who can be saved. Then Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so, 
when the rich young ruler walked away and said, I can't do what you asked me to do, uh, Jesus said, it's too bad. He said, because it's a very difficult thing for a rich person to enter into heaven. It's like a camel going through a needle's eye. Now, when I was a little kid, my mother said, come here. What? Here's a needle and there's a thread. Put it through there. And so I did. It was nothing to it. I don't know why that's hard. Well, now I say, hey, there's somebody here that can do that. I can't do that. I can't see that needle. I can't see the screw head anymore that I got to stick the screwdriver into. So, you know, how that goes. Is that what he's talking about, the eye of a needle? That would certainly be impossible to stick a camel through there, right? Well, uh, some people say yes. Some people say no. Uh, There is a place over in Israel called the needle's eye. And what it is uh, is a a valley. Uh, It goes into one of the old cities and uh, there's a place where the stone walls just come right down to almost nothing. And you as a human can just about fit through it. And that was a major part of a city because they could control the road, obviously, into the city because they came through the needle's eye. And uh, so some people say, well, it can't be the little needle that uh, your mother couldn't thread or that I can't thread. Uh, But he said it it could be they're talking about that place called the needle's eye where you couldn't take a camel through. You might be able to get a skinny camel in there. (laughs) Because Jesus said, no, it's, it's impossible with men, but it is possible with God. The point of it is, there's some things that a camel just can't do. He can't go through the eye of a needle. And he said, it's that difficult for uh, wealthy people to come to God because they really have never felt need. They've never felt need. Uh, and that's kind of a sad thing sometimes. They've never felt need. They can really, you can feel need in your heart anytime. I can feel need in my heart all the time, right? Down inside of us, we feel need. Feel a need to be loved. Feel the need uh, to be trusted. Those are needs that we have. And uh, those are important things. But he said, a rich man, it's really hard for him to say to God, I need you. Because he's not used to needing anybody. He doesn't need people. I need you, God. And so it's, it's very difficult, he says, for that to happen. And so Jesus used the idea of a needle's eye, this very small place, whether it is an actual needle or probably more likely that place that was famous as an entrance into the city that they called the needle's eye, camel it was tough to ride a camel through there, all right? And uh, you know when you ride on an animal, uh, they've got to be a little space. Remember they put my, <laughs> I shouldn't tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> when we were out, in, years ago we were in uh, Colorado, and uh, my wife was pregnant, and my sister-in-law was pregnant, uh, and my brother and I said, let's ride horses. 
through the mountains. And so they, the lady said, did you ever ride a horse for? No. Did you ever ride it? No. He says, and you're pregnant? Yeah. She says, this ain't going to go well. And she put us on horses and they led us. And I thought they got the oldest nag they had. Put me on the oldest nag they could. And every time he came to a tree, he leaned against it. My foot got crushed over and over. I said, I love horses. All right. You know, you can't get through. <laughs> My wife made it better than I did, though. With, anyway, you know. Let's go on to the next one. Matthew 23. Jesus again is going to talk about a camel. Matthew chapter 23. Who's a better storyteller than Jesus? Who gets a point over better than Jesus? Matthew chapter uh, 23, and I'm reading at verse number 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay a tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought to be done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> I sang a song for the kids a few Friday nights ago. There was an old woman who swallowed a fly, remember it? I don't know why she swallowed a fly and so forth. And the last phrase is it was an old woman who swallowed a horse. She's dead, of course. Right? He didn't make it. He can't swallow a horse. And here Jesus says about the Pharisees, if a little gnat, I, I just, you love gnats? Everybody loves them. Certain time of the year, they're in your eyes. It's like, oh, get these things out. And then they go, oh, in your mouth. When the gnats are flying, because they're going to fly right in there. And they're so small, you feel it. You, he said, these Pharisees, if the little gnat gets in their mouth, they're, ah, 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 and they turn around and swallow a whole camel. That doesn't make no sense. It doesn't make any sense. And of course it doesn't. What they were doing was they go to their garden, and he explains it here actually, and they're growing mint in the garden, okay? So you get to your mint plants. you got one, two, three, Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Cut the tenth one. That's God. One, two, three, four, five, ten. Count the next one. Every tenth one, they cut it and took it to the temple. Here's my tithe. I want you to have my mint. Give my mint to God. And they did that with their other spices. Stand there counting each plant. Yeah, that's a lot of trouble for a piece of mint. Right? <laughs> he says, you fuss and fool over nothing. You're counting mint in your garden, for heaven's sakes. Who cares? And then Jesus said they turned around and they murdered the Son of God. That's swallowing a camel, right? If you're ever going to swallow a camel, it's planning the murder of the Son of God. And so Jesus says, a strain at the, the littlest things, and they don't mind doing the most outrageous thing. The most outrageous thing is swallow a camel. Choke on a bug and swallow the camel. Somewhere in life, 
He says, we got to learn what's important and what is not. We get out of balance a lot of times in religion. It's easy to get out of balance. And people focus on things that just don't matter. Remember the guy that visited here once? And I used the King James Bible because I grew up on it and I was familiar with it all my life. So I preached out of the King James Bible like I always do. After the service, he came up to me and he said, you know about those other Bibles? I said, yeah, I guess I know about them. So he started arguing. I didn't argue. I mean, he's just yelling. By the time he was done, he was yelling at the top of his lungs, right back in that room. Hey, Bible! And I said, did you notice I preached out of the King James Bible this morning? Did you notice that? Well, swallowing a gnat, choking on a gnat. It's nothing. In the scheme of what's important, that's not one of the things. And so in religious circles, it's real easy to get out of balance. to get kind of locked on to things and focus on things, which is why this church stayed independent. Because it was one of the things in the beginning that a lot of the people who were there, and they voted to stay independent because I gave them that chance. We had two offers from two denominations to come and take over the church. I said, well, you want one of them? They both offered. Nope, we don't want them. Because people were swallowing gnats, choking on a gnat. Uh, little things that really just didn't matter. So it's easy in religion to get out of balance. And the Pharisees were the ultimate religious fanatics who were way out of balance, choking on a gnat swallowing a camel. Here's another one about a camel. Zechariah, which is the next to the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is the last book. <clears throat> and before that is Zechariah. Next to the last book of the Old Testament. The last chapter is chapter 14 of the book of Zechariah. And Zechariah prophesies. <clears throat> he was a prophet during the time of, uh, of the return. There's a couple, Zechariah and Haggai, were prophets when the 70 years captivity in Babylon were over and the Jews were beginning to return. And he lived during that time. And so he's prophesying and talking about uh, the children of Israel, what happened to them, and, and more interestingly, what's going to happen in the future. He tells about what's going to happen in the future. <clears throat> and so in chapter 14, he's having a great summation how the Spirit of the Lord is going to come back to Jerusalem. And he says in verse 8, It shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And so he's talking about a flow coming out of Jerusalem, and we know that that flow was the Holy Spirit. 
right? On the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit came to those people in Jerusalem, and that message just flowed out, and he said, it's not going to go just one way downhill, it's going to go both ways. Or in other words, it's going to go north, south, east, and west, it's going to spread itself all over the world. What's he talking about? The church of Jesus Christ. Church of Jesus Christ, he's explaining the birth of it in Jerusalem, how the church of Christ becomes vigorous and growing and does well. And then he talks about the enemies of the church. Listen well. Listen well. He's talking about the enemies of the church. Church has always had enemies. Those people there knew. Those people there knew what the enemies of the churches were. That's why they came here and did what they did. And so you and I better know too, but here's what happens to the enemies of what he calls Jerusalem. Of course, he's talking about the church being born in Jerusalem and spreading around the world. That's the message of the Savior spreading around the world. Verse 12. This shall be the plague wherein the Lord shall smite all the people who have fought against Jerusalem, or people who are against the church. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Wow, there's a Halloween movie for you, right? You've seen those happen, right? What was it, uh, Indiana Jones, when they opened the thing up and everybody's face melted? I don't know if they got it from here or not. But he says, here's what's going to happen to the enemies of the church of Jesus Christ. Their skin is going to melt off and their eyes are going to, nothing but a hole in their socket. Their tongue is going to wither up and fall away in their mouth. Ooh. Sounds like I don't want to be a part of that group. Verse 13. So come to pass in that day, a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. They shall lay hold everyone on the hand of his neighbor, and his hands are riding against the hand of his neighbor. Or that within those people, there will be a huge conflict, and they will fight, even each other. They'll fight and argue and, and turn on each other. Verse 14, Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. So here's what he says. The enemies of the church of Jesus Christ are going to melt away, and, and they come against God's people. He says, their wealth that they have collected will be turned over to God's people. All right, so they turn against each other first. He said, and then he said, their wealth is transferred to God's people. And then verse 15, here's where we get the camel. So shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, of the ass, and all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. All right, and so here's what happens to the people who turn against the church of Jesus Christ. He said, they're just going to melt away. They're going to be fighting among themselves. They're going to lose their wealth that they treasured so much. And then there's going to be a plague on all their animals. And of course, the animals, the camel represented a work animal. 
So this is their method of gaining wealth, he said. And so in other words, they're going to lose all their wealth. The animals are going to die. And so not only do they lose what they had, but they now also will be stripped from them the ability to make wealth. This is what is prophesied about the enemies of the church. Take it as you will. Take it as you will. All right? It's, it's here. I can't explain it any different than that. It's pretty clear. He says when your eyeballs sink out of your head and your tongue goes up and you want to fight with everybody, that's pretty prevalent, isn't it? You want to fight with everybody. He says, and you lose your wealth, then we will also, God will send a plague so you lose all your, uh, the methods you have to have wealth will be taken from you. That's a warning in the middle of what's a whole lot of blessings. uh, They have this little warning tucked in there and it mentions camels. All right, so there's a couple things about camels. Now let's talk about conies, shall we? Conies, uh, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs, next to the last chapter. Chapter 30. We've actually used this passage twice already because Solomon mentions four little things that seem to be insignificant, but they're very wise. We already did the ant who stores up his food ahead of time for winter. He prepares for the future. That's why he's wise. We did the locusts who says, have no king, but they all work together. They don't need a leader, and they just function as a unit, which is a pretty amazing thing. And now, verse 26, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. And so, we know something about conies. They live in the rocks. And he says they are feeble. They're feeble. But they live in the rocks. Let's take a look over at Psalm 64 for the fuller explanation of the coney. Psalm 64. And then I'll tell you what it is because you still don't know what it is, right? Or Psalm, I'm sorry, Psalm 104. I'm 104, can't read my own writing. I'm 104. I'm starting to read at verse 16. Talking about things that God made. Verse 16, the trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he has planted. Now, the cedars of Lebanon were huge, majestic trees, and Solomon used them to build his own house, and he built a temple from the cedars of Lebanon, because they were tall and straight. And if you've ever seen really nice Trees. Anybody seen the redwoods? You people have seen the redwoods. They're pretty magnificent. You stand next to me, you think I must be on another planet. 
This tree is twice as big as my car. And they're just, they're just amazing. And you look up, they're 300 feet to the top, which is three times higher than our steeple. Three times higher. You can't see the top from where you are. You can't look up, see the top. It's 300 feet up. You got to get way, way back, and then you can see the top. These trees are magnificent. And these cedars of Lebanon are these great, wonderful trees that grew straight and tall. He said, God made these trees. Now, watch this, 17, where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. And so in one of these magnificent trees that God made, there's a stork up there. What's the stork going to do for safety? Well, about all he can do is poke at you, you know. The closest thing we got to a stork here is a great blue heron. And all they can do is poke at you. I had one in the ditch by my house. Uh, one winter, about this time of year, wasn't smart enough to fly south. He just stood there in the ditch. And finally, one of the neighbors thought he was going to help him. So he grabbed the great blue heron and he come to my door. He said, is your father here? And I came out and I looked and here's him. He's got the great blue heron in this arm and the heron's on his other arm. He's got a hold of it. Is it your father around? <laughs> Go ahead. He's out back there. He, he's got a hold of you, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, the bird grabbed a hold of him because that's all the bird has. Right? And so he's hanging on. It didn't really hurt him. It probably didn't feel real good. But, I mean, he's got his big old yak over the guy's arm. And uh, he says, my father, here. My father says, I don't want it. <laughs> but he took it anyway. Pried him loose. And, but what's this stork got? Well, he's got this magnificent tree that God made, and he's safe up in that tree. All right, let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 18. The high hills are refuge for the wild goats. I remember when I was in uh, uh, the park, national park that's up on the Canadian border. I can't think of the name of it right now. But it's all mountains, fantastic mountains. And there's roads that go up to the top of this range, and you drive along. We got way up on the top, and uh, there's a goat right there. A mountain goat is right there, all white, real pretty thing, little short horns. And I said, look at this right there. I got to get out and see him. And I got out, and he walked over. And he went right over the edge. I said, <laughs> I looked down there and he's going down. Why, if you took one step over there, you would hit the bottom and 500 feet down, you'd be crushed like nothing. He walked right over the edge. I said, where's he gone? He's okay. He went over the edge. He lives in the high hills as a refuge. He's got not much to fight with. Suppose he could kick you or something. But he lives up in the high mountains and he's safe up there. God made the mountains. And then the last one here, uh, and the rocks, he says, are for the conies. Now, the closest thing that you know to a coney is a woodchuck. He's not a woodchuck, but that's the closest thing you know. He's about the size of a cat. 
Um, he's not very big. And like a woodchuck, he's not got anything. I mean, woodchuck would bite you if he can. We had two little ones when I was young, Woody and Chuck. <laughs> and and uh, they, they were uh, okay for a little while, and then they turned nasty. My father said, they're going to go, because they're going to bite you. And out they go, let them turn wild, and they were happy to go wild. But they don't have much defense. Well, a coney maybe even has less than a woodchuck. And if any of you have been out west, you've seen an animal called a marmot. You're familiar with a marmot. He looks kind of like a woodchuck. But he lives, you go up the mountain, there'll be just rocks spread all over the mountainside. And there's a marmot, he's sticking his head up. And he whistles loud. He's got a big whistle. He whistles out and, and the, he sees you, he whistles out and the marmots dive into the rocks. How are you going to get them? How those rocks get there? Well, God spread these big boulders over the sides of the mountains when he said, uh, let the waters separate from the sea and the earth cracked and the, these huge mountains came out and boulders broke off and rolled down into place. And in that spot where God brought the land out of the water, there's rocks left over from the devastation of the earth when it cracked. There's big piles of rocks. You can hardly get through them. You know, you can't go run through them. You've got to crawl along to get through them. That's where they live. Who's going to get them? So they got no defense. They're just like a woodchuck. That's a coney. He's kind of like a woodchuck to you and me. We'd say, well, that looks like a woodchuck. Not very big. He's got no defense. So what does he do? He lives in a safe place that God made. Okay, so the stork lives in the tree. He's safe there. The mountain goes on top of the ranges where nobody else can go. He's safe there. And the little coney, it says back in Proverbs, he's wise because he lives in the rocks. He's got a safe place. And you and I live in a safe place uh, because remember what Jesus said, the wise man built his house on a rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. He said, the wise man built his house on a rock. And when the rains came, he was safe. And so God is a refuge to us. And it is God who gives us safety in our life. Don't think it's ourselves. We have no defense. Like the stork, all he's got is that big old bill. And the goat, he's got little horns this big, but he jumps over the mountain. And the coney hiding in the rock, sticking his head up and whistling at us. He's safe because he stays in the place that God made. So God is a refuge, the Bible says to us, is a very present help in time of trouble. You can be safe if you stick with God. Live with God, you'll be safe. God will take care of you. That's a promise here in the Bible. And it comes from the coney, who is wise because he stays defenseless. He lives among the rocks. He's always safe. So there's camels and conies. A couple more animals, and we still got a few more to go. Thank you.